I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your holster is way more important than you think it is. It's just way more important than you think it is. What, look, and I get that. The holster's not the sexy part of carrying firearms, right? You want to talk about your weapon and your ammunition. You want to talk about your safety training. You want to talk about how you did at the range. Oh, look at my groups. I was doing these failure drills today. And all that stuff's really important. I mean, really, really important. I'm not discounting that. But I've known so many people who do all those things. They take all the necessary steps, and then they carry with a holster they bought from a big box hunting store that was made a 1,000 at a time. Please, don't put your life in one of those holsters. You need to trust Northwest Retention Systems because it's all custom-made gear. It's the only thing I carry around. NWRetention.com. That's NWRetention.com. Use the promo code JESSE. Get you 10% off. Big man, huh? A big one. We need big ideas and we need them now. What a good idea. This is The Jesse Kelly Show on KPRC 950. Here's Jesse Kelly. You know something morbid I think about? Maybe this is my personality. Maybe this is a Marine Corps thing. 
Maybe it's just a guy thing. I don't know. But I think about my end. You know, my death. I don't I don't mean think about it in I don't want to die. I mean I don't I don't want to die. Not superhuman here, but that's I don't think about it in that way. I think about how I want to go. And I guess part of the reason I think about that is I love these great figures in history. I say great. I mean, some of these guys are monsters. But as we've always said, what's that great Lord Acton line? Almost all great men are bad men. I like the ones who got to go out a great way. Their own way. The way, you know, if they penciled out their life, I want to do this and this and this. You know what? And this is how I want to die. I think that's awesome. Like Alexander the Great's story, that that has always bummed me out. I don't mind that he died young. What was he, 32, 33? But this amazing general, maybe the greatest tactical general of all time, Always outnumbered, tears through everybody, never loses a battle, and gets sick and dies. Maybe poison, they don't know, but Alexander the Great should have died with a spear in his hand somewhere. Right? Let us talk for a moment about King Pyrrhus. Now, you need to be thinking 250 B.C., that's, I mean, that's rough, but you know, I always keep it rough for you. King Pyrrhus was, he was the king of Epirus. Now I understand all these words are starting to clash together already. Don't let your eyes glaze over. Let me explain. You can picture the boot of Italy. Now off the southeast coast, across that little body of water, there was this place called Epirus. It was Greece. They were Greek. And understand this about the Greeks, and this is difficult to understand when we look at history because everything tends to glob together. We do that to simplify things, and I do it too, all the time. We all do it. Greece wasn't necessarily Greece, but it was Greece, and I mean that in this way. Each city-state had its own thing, very much its own thing. Sparta here, Athens there. Eventually, Macedonia or Macedonia. You have all these different, and there are so many others, all these different Greeks, and they were always fighting. Picture them like brothers who didn't get along. They were always fighting and often killing each other. However, there was this thing about being Greek where they would kill each other all the time. But there are plenty of times... They just didn't take kindly to you trying to kill one of their Greek brothers. No, no, I can beat up my brother. You can't beat up your, my brother. That's, that's going to be a no for me. Which brings us to the city of Tarentum. They are on the Italian peninsula. They're on what you would picture as Italy today. Again, across the water from Epirus. And Tarentum is a Greek city. Now you have to understand, and this can be difficult because, again, we glob even time together. Rome was not 
quite Rome yet. Not the Rome you think of, the Rome that rules the known world, the Rome that rules the Mediterranean. Yes, they were very powerful. But they were still an upstart and just got done taking over the middle of the Italian peninsula. They didn't even have the south yet. They did not even own their own peninsula yet. And Tarentum was one of those Greek states on the bottom. And they were in some trouble. And King Pyrus, Pyrus I'm sorry, was a bad dude. And I mean a bad dude. You remember Hannibal? We've talked about Hannibal before. Hannibal Barca, Hannibal of Carthage, maybe the greatest general ever. He said Pyrrhus was the second greatest general who ever lived besides Alexander the Great. When I say Pyrrhus is a bad dude, I mean a bad dude. And he goes over and fights the Romans. And he kicks the crap out of them. And then he goes down to Sicily where the Carthaginians are, you know, They're kicking everyone around down there. And Sicily was like, hey, Pierce, can you come help us? And he says, yes, I certainly can. And he marches on down there and kicks the crap out of them too. Then he goes back to Italy and he's like, maybe I'll fight Rome again. And this is basically what this guy did. He took his 25 to 30,000 troops, including war elephants, which is sweet, by the way. And he went around stomping everybody else. Now, he ran into a problem by the time he got back to Italy. Rome, who had already hurt him badly, even though he won the last battle, the Romans were waking up. You see, he tried to attack the Romans again, this time in anticipation of Pyrrhus's war elephants. The Romans took a bunch of pigs, covered those pigs in soot, in pitch, I mean. It's flammable oil, all right? Sticky, flammable oil. And they lit the pigs on fire and sent the pigs down the hill towards the elephants. One, obviously that sounds horrific. Two, I bet that smelled wonderful. Stop, Chris. Three, imagine how that sounded. A screaming, burning pig running down the hill. Now know that elephants can be a little skittish. You can imagine how that went before Pyrrhus knew it. His own elephants were ripping through his own people because they were scared to death. Long story short, Pyrrhus ends up back in Greece. Got about 8,000 dudes with him looking around. And he thinks to himself, well, we got to do something, right? And all of a sudden, there's this guy in Sparta. Now, understand this. This is not, again... All time and history globs together. This is not the Sparta you know, the 300 Sparta, the Spartans who are the bad. Now, they're still Sparta. They're still bad dudes, but they're not at their peak nowhere near. And there was a former king, royal blood guy, Cleonymus of Sparta, and he said, hmm, my fellow Spartans hate me. I bet you I can hire Pyrrhus, and Pyrrhus will go and attack Sparta, and then make me king. They'll put me in as king. Pyrrhus says, well, yeah, we need some money, right? So they march on down to Sparta. Now, here's the problem for Pyrrhus. Sparta may not have been Sparta of old, but how many times have we talked about Sparta on this show? 
You remember even the women are rumored to be some of the most beautiful in the world because they were even fitness freaks because the Spartans believed that a fit woman and obviously a military man would create a stronger heir, a stronger military next generation. Well, you don't just march into Sparta and start slapping people around. They had everybody, men, women, and children, stabbing spears at them. Pyrrhus has to back away. Well, now Pyrrhus needs something to do. Pyrrhus looks over, and there's a little dispute in this town called Argos. And here we have this greatest general. Hannibal Barca himself says the greatest general who ever lived looks over at Argos and says to himself, well, this should be easy, right? It wasn't easy. Neglect the 80s? That's a good jam right there. You'd never pick that jam as one of the you know top 20 songs of all time, but every time that song comes on, you're listening. Huh? I haven't heard that song in ages. As soon as it came on, I'm like, dude, yes. Yes. Let's do this. King Pyrrhus heads to Argos. He was going to, quote, settle a dispute. But there was another army on the way. He didn't think they were there yet. They were there. They get in a massive street battle in the streets of Argos. And we have this amazing general, Pyrrhus. And and I, I, I had to gloss over so much of his life because we have time constraints on the show. But I would highly... Highly recommend you read up on him, and I'll talk about him again with individual battles and things like that. I will. But just know this. This dude was a beast, and I don't mean the kind of beast that sits back in his tent while everyone else is out there bleeding. I'm talking about the kind of guy, just like Alexander, he was at the front of every battle. Chopping people to bits, taking wounds. He got in one battle that was so bad against the Romans, and he had on special armor and this big purple cloak. And he was just putting bodies in the ground, according to the stories. I mean, the dude's on horseback, chopping people up, and finally all the Romans are coming at him because they can see. 
Pierce's own troops are watching. And let me tell you, if you've never been there, when your leader is putting himself in the most harm's way, there is something about that that is inspirational. And his troops were looking at this dude thinking, dude, I will lay down and die for this guy. Finally, so many guys are trying to kill Pyrrhus. His people make him take his cloak off. He's like, dude, we love you, but you're going to die. Please, please. When your own troops love you so much that like, bro, come on, let's, let's be a little safe here. That's love, people. That's love. And he got himself caught in the street of our streets of Argos, age of 46. And finally he orders a retreat. He's like, man, we got to get out of town, pack it up and pack it in. Let's get out of this city. They start heading towards the city gates. Only there's a problem. Pyrrhus had brought his elephants with him into the city. One of those elephants was standing in the city gates, panicking, and nobody could get through. And now both sets of soldiers are there, hacking away at each other. And Pyrrhus, because he's, well, he's Pyrrhus, dives in, starts killing people. And eventually, boom, takes a spear through the breastplate into his chest. Turns to see who got him. And it's a teenage peasant boy with a spear in his hand who was just defending his city. And Pyrrhus, still very much alive, gets ready to kill said boy. When the boy's mother leans out her window, takes a big, heavy ceramic tire or uh, tile and throws it down from the second story, hits Pyrrhus in the back of the neck, shattering his vertebrae, paralyzing him on the spot. Pyrrhus falls down, dead. That story has always bummed me out. For the same reason, the Alexander story bummed me out. You have this amazing general doing this and that, and and he's taking on the Romans when he has no business beating them, and he's winning, and he's got war elephants, and he's, he's amazing. And he's killed by a woman with a ceramic tile. I can't believe what we're seeing right now in the United States of America. Jobs numbers are out. Do you remember the 3.2 million unemployment that was called in last week? And, and everybody acknowledges that 3.2 million is light, and I mean extremely light for what it really was. It shattered every record. The previous record was 700,000 and change, I believe. 3.2 million shattered every record. It was also light because the unemployment lines in all the states, the phone lines, were full. People could not get through. I heard those, those stories by the thousand. Plus the self-employed people who couldn't declare, so on and so forth. The numbers what was way higher than that. Numbers come out today. 6.6 million. More than double.
I don't know how to put this to you. That that number gets worse. Did you know that it took until the second year of the Great Depression to get to 9% unemployment? Do you know we just hit that number on April 2nd? We're at 9% unemployment. 6.6 this week does not turn into one or two next week. Next week it's 10. Then it's 15. You want to talk about exponential growth? I understand there is a virus, a deadly virus. I'm not discounting it at all. We are about to see deadly in this country. Deadly. That's what a Great Depression is. Deadly. We have suicide rates spiking all across the nation. Knoxville, a 10% increase already in suicides by April 2nd. That's not talking about the drug addiction that's about to go through the roof. Alcohol sales are up 55% in America. Spousal abuse as people are desperate and trapped at home. Child abuse. You think that's bad? Oh. Oh, wait, I have a couple others. Your jaw's going to drop. that music means that means the one the only my buddy sean parnell joins us afghanistan vet author author of some really sweet books and running for congress against a democrat in a swing district keep that in mind people sean parnell sean uh buddy there are plenty of times where i enjoy being right 6.6 million people being out of work today after 3.2 million last week is not one of those times, my brother. Yeah, no. I mean, you've you've been screaming from the rooftops for a long time about this. I mean, and, and, you know, I, I I think that, you know, you know where I fall on this. I don't think we should throw, throw caution to the wind with the virus. We should take it seriously, but you know, our pandemic response, I, I think, needs to be more surgical. And I think the president was on the right track when he was looking at designating, you know, high-risk areas versus low-risk areas and sort of sending people back to work slowly to get the economy going again. I mean, the only way a a shutdown works and social distancing like this work is if it's short-term. And and the goal then is to keep as many of these businesses open, pay the rent, keep the lights on. Maybe they have to furlough employees for a short time. But once once this passes, they can hit the ground running, pick up where they left off and rehire all those people. But the longer this goes on, the more difficult that becomes. And, you know, say if restaurants or retail chains shutter and close their doors forever, those people who were laid off and who were furloughed aren't going to be able to go right back to work. That's my big fear is that 
This can't, the government can't print enough money to keep this economy going. Uh, it's just, it's not, it's not a pragmatic solution because even the most extreme measures that we take without a vaccine aren't, it will be minimally effective over the long term. You see my point? We could be facing a second wave epidemic here in America in November and December, only this time on far weaker economic footing. And that's really what concerns me. And we can't shut down the country for 12 to 18 months, which which is that that's the time they think it's going to take for us to develop a vaccine. So we need a more surgical response and we need we need it soon. Sean, this is my problem. And I guess I am not bagging on Dr. Fauci, Dr. Burks, although I've had a huge issue with a couple of things they've said. I'm not bagging on these people or acting like they're idiots or some kind of deep state plants. Or I'm not saying any of that. My problem is this. Yes, we have these two docs. They're telling us how to kill a virus. That's telling us how to kill a virus. Yes, they should be in the room. They should give advice. We should listen. But they can't all of a sudden run America. America is not a virus. We cannot become wholly focused on only the virus because we're going to kill the rest of us. And that's what we're doing, Sean. We're murdering the country for a virus. Yeah, it's it's um, that's why presidential leadership is so important. And I think to I think I think in large part the president thus far has done a good job. And I think he recognizes you remember he was saying for a time uh, the cure can't be worse than the problem itself. So the president recognizes that restaurants, retail stores, small businesses all over America are in are in peril right now. And so it's the president's job to balance the risks that put forth uh, and the recommendations is put forth from these doctors, uh, but also look at how America is handling this as a whole and make decisions. It's it's like being it's like being a leader in combat. When lives are on the line, uh, leadership is about making decisions. And I think you know part of what we're seeing is is uh, this crisis has highlighted that many of the politicians that we elect maybe haven't been, I'm not saying all of them, right, but maybe haven't been a leader in crisis when lives are on the line. The point I'm trying to make here, Jesse, is that there's no path forward right now in the midst of this crisis that will be without risk, right? Um, And so I think Americans need to recognize that as we move forward and try to balance the health of all Americans with the health of our economy. Because if our economy crashes and these small businesses close, right, and if they close forever, the Americans that were furloughed or laid off won't be able to go back to work when this storm passes, right? The, the good news is, is that if this shutdown is short, I think we will be able to pick up where we left off because the fundamentals of this economy uh, was the best ever in American history, I think. You know, if you look at the Great Recession, the fundamentals of that economy was poor. There was a housing crisis. We had to rebuild certain sectors of the economy, and that took time. It took years. So in this case, we're talking about months, not years, precisely because Donald Trump's economy was so strong. But if this shutdown goes on too long, my concern is restaurant or small businesses closed and people can't go back to work. Sean, I feel like it, it, maybe military people view this a little differently, but I don't know about you, although I'm relatively positive this is the case. I had plenty of people who were high ranking officers, heavy, mainly officer types, but officers with a lot of brass on their collar who were absolute utter morons. Now, I had several that were amazing, (laughs) 
but I had several that were utter morons. And I feel like that has given me, and I'm sure you, an ability to not – I don't see a doctor in a lab coat and automatically think, man, that guy is probably a genius. I bet he knows it all. Now, I feel like he might. <laughs> he has a lot of education, but you go ahead and tell me why I should view you as being an expert. And my issue with shut down the country is twofold. One, it's disastrous for the economy. Two, it's not even realistic. People are not going to do that on a country of 350 million people. It's not realistic. So how was it ever considered? Sean, I might as well order you to go r- grow wings and jump off the roof and fly. Yeah, it, it's that. This is what I'm talking about about a, a a draconian lockdown without a vaccine, I, is is going to be minimally effective, right? Without, I mean, because no matter how long, like we could lock down this country for four months, right? And without a vaccine, the virus will not be eradicated. So I think the whole point of the shutdown was to be short term to buy our healthcare system time, right? So. If it's me making the decisions, you know, I'm looking at the most effective area, affected areas and I'm mobilizing the National Guard to build additional field hospitals and, you know, chari- get, let's get charities into those areas to build up additional field hospitals, get more beds to make sure our healthcare system has a little bit more resiliency. Um, and I think the president's doing that. Um, but at the same time, our response needs to be more balanced. We can't simply just say we're going to shut down in perpetuity. And, and this, this leads me to something else. Like when we see this through, when, when we put out this fire, we have got to hold China accountable for what they've done, with the, the virus that they've perpetrated on, on the world. Uh, China, if it's up to me, we've got to bring all of our medical device manufacturing and all of our antibiotic production and medicine production back home, all of it, 100% of it. And we need to offer tax incentives to companies like Apple to come back home to America. Um, I love China, that. I, I love that. Sean, how do we hold China accountable, by the way? Sorry to interrupt, but I mean, how do we do What does that look like, man? How do we hold them accountable? Well, we need to get all our, like, like I just said, we want to bring our supply chain home. That's the first step, right? The second step is forcing them to pay some sort of financial reparations to America and the rest of the world that were devastated by this virus. And it starts with canceling our debt. China holds north of a trillion dollars of American debt. All that needs to be canceled. And because this is costing this is costing America trillions of dollars in economic damage. And so the first step is let's cancel our debt and let's pay reparations to the rest of the world. Uh, because the fact China unleashed this plague. Here's something that also kills. Here's something that also drives me crazy. While Democrats were focused on impeachment, and I'm not even trying to politically snipe here. While Nancy Pelosi was passing out impeachment pens, President Trump was forming a coronavirus task force. On January 15th, when the virus, the first case of coronavirus was here in this country, impeachment managers were being appointed uh, on the Democrats. So you think that this, this was the cost of a lawless impeachment. Do you think that it might have distracted us from protecting Americans? You see, you see the cost of poor leadership, right? Yeah, this you is know, why it's so important we elect it, leaders and not politicians. It's so funny because you never, you, I mean, you don't, you can get mad about the impeachment stuff when it was going on, and I know you were and I was, but you don't, you don't even realize there's extra cost to it that you can't see at the time. And you're right. And yeah. now we do see it. While they, you remember, there's a video of them marching their somber impeachment yes. documents through Capitol yes. Hill like a bunch of stooges. And now we're all looking and we're like, wow, while, while this virus was spreading, that's what you were doing. Yeah, and now you have Adam Schiff out there talking about forming a 9-11 South Commission to, to investigate President Trump's response to the virus. It's like, you know, my God, you know, the, the, 
So the president banned travel from China on January 31st. I, I was among some of the first people with Tom Cotton who actually called for a ban from tra- travel to China before the president did. But my God, when the president made that decision, he was called xenophobic and racist. And, you know, there are supercuts, the jump cuts on, on the Internet and on Twitter of, of all these Democrats talking about how it's racist and that they should go out to they should go to a Chinese restaurant. They should eat it. None of this was about racism. It was about keeping the country safe. It was about identifying a viral plague and making sure that we keep our country safe from it. You know, and so this is why this is this is why it's so important to take the house back. This is why races like mine matter, because if we don't take the, ho- the house back, right, then not only will we probably see impeachment 2.0, but the next four years of this president's administration will be plagued by nothing but investigations into his response here. And, and I think most Americans know the president's approval rating is at an all-time high. I think Dallas said 63%, which is just unbelievable. Most Americans know that a viral plague created by China, or that started in China, that came here, is not the president's fault. Do we want four more years of nonstop investigations from the president, maybe even impeachment 2.0? Sean, get your website in there real quick so people can give you. Yeah, seanforcongress.co. Sean, appreciate you, my man. Sean Parnell, go knock him dead, brother. All right, thanks, bro. I'm trying to think of the best way to put this to you. And you know how direct I've been with you this entire time. I mean, geez, we did a segment on eating grandpa the other night. You're going to have to go back and get the reference. All right, I'm not even going to explain it to you. But I've promised you that I'm going to be direct. I've promised you that, you know, I promised you honesty. I will never promise you that I'm a good person. I am not. I admit that I am a disassociated sociopath, as my good friend Michael Berry says. I know I know all that. But I will always give it to you straight. And you should know, I generally do lighter radio. As you've heard the show as we go along, yes, I'm hammering this topic, but I'm trying to branch off and talk about other stuff and tell little stories and talk about food and stuff just because I know for a fact that you are being barraged with bad news all day long. It's all over the TV. It's all over the radio. Maybe you have bad news in your life right now. I know there's a chance you're worried about your job. You're worried about your income. You're worried about your spouse's income, your kids. I, I, I get that. So I'm not trying to bring you down, and I never will. Even when we're done with all this, I am not here to stress you out. That's part of the show I do. I don't sit and scream into the microphone all day long. Yes, I get upset sometimes. There's no question. But I don't do, we're all going to die radio. But I want to, I want to read you a few things first. 
briefly. Don't worry. I don't do a lot of reading article stuff. First, headline. This is from ABC7.com. Prosecutors engineer deliberately ran train off the tracks in attempt to smash the USNS Mercy. This is in San Pedro, uh, Los Angeles. An engineer deliberately ran a train off the tracks at high speed near the port of Los Angeles in an attempt to crash into the USNS Mercy hospital ship. Pacific Harbor train line derailed Tuesday, so on and so forth. Federal prosecutors allege that train engineer Eduardo Moreno, 44 of, of San Pedro, intended to hit the ship. He said, saying he thought it was, quote, suspicious and did not believe the ship is what they say it's for. The USNS Mercy is one of those hospital ships they're bringing in. Keep in mind, there's another one of these hospital ships in New York. Understand something. When you see the headlines about these ships not taking on any passengers, the ships are not taking coronavirus passengers. That's a bit of misinformation that's out there. They're taking the passengers who specifically don't have it so they don't have to be hospitalized with people who do. Make sense? Okay, so we have a train engineer. Sees the ship. Who knows what conspiracy theory went through his mind. Decides to try to drive a train into it, which in its own way is kind of impressive, Chris. I had no idea you could steer him like that. I figured you were pretty much bound to the tracks, but nevertheless, here we are. Fauci security. This is the second headline. This is from thehour.com. Fauci, that's the Dr. Fauci. His security has stepped up as doctor in, as doctor in face of U.S. coronavirus response receives threats. Anthony Fauci, the nation's top infectious disease expert in face of the U.S. response to the novel coronavirus pandemic, is facing growing threats to his personal safety, prompting the government to step up his security, according to people familiar with the matter. The concerns include threats as well as unwelcome communications from fervent admirers. (laughs) Oh, there's another headline. March shattered. This is from freebeacon.com. March shatters monthly gun sales record as U.S. faces down threat, faces down threat of coronavirus. Now, what do all those stories have in common? We are facing desperate times. I am not trying to freak you out. We are facing desperate times that are going to be filled with desperate people. And we're going to discuss this very, very frankly. Hang on. I'm going to go dark. You don't have to ramp up the darkness with the stones painted black, dude. Good grief. I feel like we got a voodoo doll in here. We're not trying to have people swan dive off the buildings. Look, I'm, It's just time we have 
a talk about this, and I have avoided this. I had a private conversation with my buddy Buck Sexton about it last night. We were texting back and forth, and we were trying to figure out. I mean, he has a national show. I have a national show. And there is, everybody knows, I don't do the, I'm changing the world radio. I'm just screwing off trying to make your day better for 15 minutes. That's all. However, there there is a certain amount of responsibility that comes with a platform like this. There is. It just is. I feel responsible. People are listening. People will do the things that I say. It's bad of an idea as it is. So I've been hesitant to... I've been hesitant to lay this out in such a frank way in the way that I'm about to do. But you need to hear it. You need to hear it. Big man, huh? A big one. We need big ideas and we need them now. What a good idea. This is the Jesse Kelly Show on KPRC 950. Here's Jesse Kelly. Arch. Shatters monthly gun sales record. Dr. Fauci now has to have security after death threats. And a train engineer out in L.A. tries to drive his train off the tracks and slam it into the medical ship that's out there, the USNS Mercy. What do all these things have in common? Desperate people are dangerous people. I am happy about the gun sales record because that tells me enough of you are already taking this seriously. But for those who aren't, let me just be really frank here. I understand guns may make you uncomfortable. I understand you may have children in your home. And that's a major concern. What happens if he gets a hold of it? It is not an option anymore for you to have a weapon in your home. You must. You must. You find a way to get a weapon or two in your hands, in the hands of your wife. Figure out, take a class, take a virtual class if you have to. Figure out how to use it safely. Remember, safety first at all times. Safety first at all times. Treat every weapon as if it were loaded. Never point a weapon at anything you don't intend to shoot. Know your target and consider its background. That's also an important thing. Be careful, those of you in a home pulling out the street howitzer to potentially shoot a burglar in the the hallway because his soft, pudgy body 
is not going to stop that round completely if you choose the wrong one, and those plaster walls may not stop it either. I'm just telling you, consider these things. Get a weapon. Figure out how to use it safely. And figure out how to be deadly with it. Now, I know you might be saying, Jesse, I can't. They closed the gun range. Do you have any idea the gains you can make with your weapon when you have unloaded it and ensured it's unloaded about 20,000 times and you practice with it in front of a mirror? Practice with it against a dot in the wall? squeezing that trigger, making sure that your sights don't go off of that spot. Is it perfect? No, it's not perfect. But you can make sure you are functional with the weapon. People, we have train engineers trying to drive their trains into medical ships. It's April 2nd. We had 3.2 million unemployment claims last week. Let's be kind and assume that was 9 or 10 million. And that's probably closer to what it was. We doubled that number this week. That number's going up again the following week. That number goes up again the following week. That number goes up again the following week. As businesses run out of capital, these numbers are going to skyrocket. That growth doesn't slow. You want to talk about exponential growth of a virus? That's what exponential growth looks like. People are about to be desperate, and not everybody is as sane as you. And no, this isn't, you know, just in the bad neighborhoods. That upper middle class white neighborhood you reside in. Everybody's got a, everyone's got a Yukon and a Beamer in the driveway. White picket fences. Kids have a nice bike. Ah, I think John works in banking. Yes, John works in banking. Well, I should say he worked in banking. You see, they were way over leveraged. Uh, John had just bought a boat, and they had got a lake house just last year, so they overspent a little because John was actually due to get promoted, get a big pay raise here in a couple months. You see, John's a vice president at a bank. He's he makes three hundred fifty thousand dollars a year now. Right now, they're spending five hundred a year, and that's really getting desperate. And the kids are getting ready to go to school, but all that's fine because he's actually scheduled to get this promotion. So John's uh, John's doing fine. Everything's fine, and then wham, coronavirus hits, and now instead of getting promoted, John just got sat down by the boss and told, uh, "We have to let you go, and we can't afford to give you a severance package." So now he's spending five hundred thousand dollars a year, bringing in zero dollars a year. On top of that, John, you know, had maybe some substance abuse po- uh, problems beforehand. Now John, uh, maybe hitting the pills a little bit too hard. Now John's desperate. Now John's wife screaming at him. Now the kids are asking, Dad, I can't have my, 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 they just canceled my cell phone. Are you still paying my cell phone? And now John's maybe thinking about hurting himself. Maybe thinking about hurting someone else too. I'm sorry if that's too frank for you, but you know that's coming, right? We are firing people 
by the millions. The desperation that comes with that cannot fully be understood. Have you never been out of work? If you haven't been, let me explain something to you. You cannot imagine that feeling. You cannot imagine the feeling of the the bills still coming at you like a tidal wave. Of your wife looking at you like, please do something. Of your kids saying, Daddy, do, do we have to eat Kraft Mac and Cheese again? And you looking them in the eyes and wanting to tell them, Son, be happy we're eating Kraft Mac and Cheese. Enjoy those last few boxes. That creates a desperation in people you don't want to imagine. And look, that's fine for the majority. For 99 people out of 100, they'll find a way to get through it. They'll pray through it. They'll find charity. They'll find family. They'll find friends. They'll get through it. But all you need is one person out of 100. He's not going to be fine. He's going to get in his train one day and try to steer it into a ship. He's going to make phone calls to Dr. Fauci and threaten him. He's going to look around, maybe at the place he used to work, maybe at the convenience store up the road, maybe at the bank that just told him he's about to get kicked out of his house, and he's going to start considering some desperate measures, some irrational disgusting, violent measures. So allow me to circle back to what I just told you. You don't have an option anymore. I'm just uncomfortable around guns. Get comfortable around guns. The time is now. It turned to demons of greed that's sends me these you know what this is immature this laguna beach city council meeting is bombed on zoom with <laughs> with apparently some dirty pictures or something the incident occurred at 5 30 p.m during the tuesday march 31st meeting just as city manager john pedig began detailing coronavirus related closures at the beaches parks and trailheads planned for the month of april the meeting was the city's first virtual meeting since the coronavirus quarantine. First to appear. But so so you understand. I understand some people are a little confused on Zoom. Let me explain this before I go on. <laughs> Zoom is is a it's on your computer. And again, I'm not a tech wizard here, although I'm super smart, Chris. Zoom is a place where 10 of you 
can sit down in front of your computers from your homes and your face will be up. You know, you'll see everyone's face. And so you're having a virtual face-to-face meeting. That's Zoom, all right? First to appear were uh, dirty sketches with profane words written on a whiteboard (laughs) on the feature that allowed users to annotate on a shared screen. Laguna Beach Mayor Bob Whalen immediately asked Gavin Curran, the city's director of administrative services, who was hosting the meeting, to disconnect. Can you put a stop to that? Can you turn off that screen, Gavin? Whalen asked. It appears someone is posting an inappropriate message. It's very disappointing someone would do something like that. (laughs) Sorry, I can't stop laughing. I can't stop picturing it. About five minutes later, when everyone except for City Councilman Peter Blake, Kieran, and City Clerk Lizette Shell Walker, who were physically present in the council chambers, were dialed in, the meeting continued, only to be interrupted again five minutes later by a live, you know, a live scene of people being affectionate. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know that's inappropriate. I know that's inappropriate. I do. I know that's inappropriate. But that's funny, man. That's very funny. There was a video floating around, uh, gosh, a few days ago where people were on one of these Zoom calls. And people, people get confused when they're on a conference call or when they're on a Zoom call. And what happens is, this is what happens. We all know this because it's happened to us. I know it's happened to you because it's happened to me. You're on a conference call or, in this case, a virtual Zoom call, and you're not really paying attention because you shouldn't be there. Let's be honest. Let's just be honest about how these meetings work, especially now when everything's virtual. I mean, the whole country's locked down. Well, we need all 10 of us on a conference call tomorrow, and you're thinking to yourself, dude, no, please, because the truth of the matter is this. 90% of conference calls, this is prior to the shutdown, but 90% of conference calls or, you know, corporate meetings should not even happen. People are, in general, scared to lead. They want to share responsibility. They want to make sure everybody feels good. And so you'll get a manager in charge of 10 people, and he'll he'll say, all right, we, we need a corporate meeting. We need a conference call when, no, you don't. You need to send out an email and say, this is what we're doing, period. Let me know if you have any questions. So 90% of these meetings should never happen. They just shouldn't. And at least 50% of the people invited to these meetings and conference calls now have no business being there. But we've become way too inclusive as a society. That's become like a word everyone wants to be. Oh, I'm very inclusive. Well, we have to make sure we include Tammy from accounting because we didn't include her last time. And she were, she were, she complained to HR that she was very offended. But can, Tammy from accounting can shut up or go find a new job. Well, look, we have to invite Bill. I mean, Bill... Bill's been been with the company for 30 years, and he really likes to be invited to these things. I don't give a crap what Bill likes. Bill can go powder quit. 
I know that sounds mean. That sounds harsh, but look, that's me, and I'm right. I am. The same way I've been right about this virus response the whole time. I'm right about this, too, and everyone knows it. Most of these people should not be there. Well, why wasn't I invited? Because you're not important enough for the decision-making. We'll let you know. I know that's mean, but again, you can't say that these days. Well, we have to make sure we include everybody. No, you don't. Your your board meetings, your big corporate meeting should probably be like one person, maybe two. Hey, John, what do you think about this? Do you agree? Okay, we should go a different All right, we'll go that route. Sounds good. Send out an email to everybody. Done. Corporate meeting's done. So what happens now is everybody's working from home. And working from home has huge advantages. I'm glad we live in a society where people are able to do this. I know it's a big help to a lot of women who would like to take care of the kids and get some stuff done at home. This is fine. Whatever. I'm glad we can work from home. But it also creates a more relaxed environment. There's a reason that militaries wear uniforms. I mean, there are a lot of reasons to it, but a lot of it is for the person wearing the uniform. You put on the uniform and you feel more buttoned up, more ready to go. This is, okay, it puts you in game mode. You know, you ever play football, you ever play basketball, you put on the uniform, all of a sudden you're you're ready to roll. You remember the story I told about Pyrrhus at the very beginning, King Pyrrhus, when he was taking on the Romans? Remember, Romans were, I mean, thought to be barbarians by the Greeks at this time. They weren't the fancy white marble Romans yet. And Pyrrhus is gearing up for war against the Romans, and the Romans had these advanced legions and military tactics. And Pyrrhus looks across at the Romans with their camps because the Romans were emphatic about having their camps lined up right. Everybody was in uniform. Weapons were all set up right. I mean, super, super disciplined. And this is what he said. Quote, these may be barbarians, but there is nothing barbarous about their discipline. We will see in action what it's worth. It meant something to him. This great general looks across. Everyone's in uniform. Everything's lined up. Okay, they take this serious. Same thing at working from home versus at the office. You're at the office. Okay, I've got on my business slacks today. I've got my buttoned-up shirt. I'm in a... So people get home, and they're more chilled out. You can't help it. You're more chilled out. I mean, yes, I'm going to be on the conference call, but I can make some scrambled eggs while I do that if I just put it on mute. I can can do all that, right? Only only this one girl, she was on one of the Zoom calls, again, one of the video calls, and maybe got a little little too relaxed. Um, While everybody was on the call, while she was – you know, had the camera facing her. She walks into the bathroom, sets the phone down away from the john to give you a nice wide view, drops her drawers, plops down on the toilet. <laughs> and I don't mean for like half a second, Chris. I'm talking, I'll have to look again. It was like 30 seconds, bro. And everybody else on the call starts to pick up on it because they can see what's going on. And now they're all laughing and they're trying to hold back the laughter. And they're just in there. And finally, and you can see, you know, the moment's going to come. The girl on the John freaks and like leaps off the John and grabs the phone and 
gets the call. <laughs> I've never laughed so freaking hard in all my life because, because you know that person in that moment wants to die. Wants to actually physically die. If you could hand her a weapon at that moment, she would just end it all. That's that kind of devastation. And I said it is so funny because now I, I'm not exactly one of these people. I know, I know you may find this shocking. I'm not exactly one of these people who, you know, is dreadfully scared of what other people think. Dude, I would be very embarrassed. I mean, that's, that's embarrassing for a woman. Like I sent that video to my wife and she kind of half laughed. And then she said, you know, honestly, I would quit that day. And I was like, <laughs> no, you wouldn't. And she said, no, I would. Even my job right now that I love, I would never go back again. I love to uh, focus only on myself, Chris. Talk about only myself. I realize a lot of people were uh, saying, well, Jesse, you were right all along. You were right all along. Oh, I was not alone, ladies and gentlemen. My guest now is a friend of mine. He's a national security expert. His name is Jordan Schachtel, and he has been all over our illiterate response to this virus from the very beginning, he's been all over the projections, which have been crap. He's been all over the economic devastation, which has been crap. And Jordan, 6.6 million new unemployment claims this morning, but it's just a pause, right? Hey, Jesse, thanks for having me on. You bet, and I'm, I'm also hearing that pretty much every state's um, unemployment system is on the verge of crashing or has already stopped working because there's so much of a backlog. So 10 million, we both know that that's not even close to the real number at this point. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's not. I, I tried to explain that at the very beginning of the show because I was hearing the same things. I mean, I know personally companies who have said only 20% of their employees who qualify have already filed. People were trying to call. I know a guy who waited on hold for three hours in Ohio and then finally got hung up on. I know it was Cuomo himself who said they had something like 700,000 calls when the previous record, or, or no, it was 1 million, 1.2 million calls he had, and the previous record was 50,000. The systems simply are not withstanding it. The number's way over 10 million, way. It's just, it's just crazy. I mean, I, I just kind of was talking about this on social media, that a, a month ago, the government officials were talking about social distancing, and now all of a sudden social distancing means you're locked down in your house until we say it's okay to leave. 
and the timelines keep extending, but the language remains the same. You know, it's just like so incredibly Orwellian what we're dealing with right now. And it seems that Americans don't have a, a vote. We don't have a voice. And we're just listening to our, our bureaucrats that are advising us what to do. Um, and Dr. Anthony Fauci has now called this a co- inconvenience, quote, quote, unquote, inconvenience many times. And these people just don't get it. And, and people need to speak up because it's getting it's getting absurd. And, you know, our, our nation is coming closer and closer to the brink of economic collapse much sooner than we think. And you were one of the first people to call this out. Dr. Fauci, uh, I'm not a doctor. I'm, I'm Dr. Burks. You know, I'm not a doctor. I'm not one of these people. I don't I don't know their education. I'm sure it's high. I'm sure that, you know, all the Ivy League schools and things like that. But Jordan, I'm looking at these numbers. I mean, Dr. Burks gets up to the podium two days ago and says, well, if we don't do anything, two million people are dead. But even if we do, we're going to have 100 to 200,000 dead Americans. Now, Jordan, maybe that's the case. Maybe that's the truth. Um, but I'm not looking at numbers anywhere close to that. Where are these numbers coming from? What what is what are we looking at? Do they have some intel out of China we don't have? What's going on? Yeah, so as you know, they're looking at two models right now. And both of those models are regularly revised, basically daily, if not hourly, because the projections that they set at the beginning of the week, the beginning of the month, they're always wrong. So they're just they're just guessing. And this this two million number was came from the first uh, white white paper projection from from a college out of London that and and the scientist behind that has already revised his projections downward by I think twenty times for his his London model. So if you go down twenty times from the Imperial College U.S. model, you know it's the same ballpark that we're dealing with. And you know it's really frustrating because people tell me like, oh, Trump's setting himself up for a win, and like you know politics is the last thing I want to worry about right now. Like we need to focus. Uh, giving the American people realistic numbers so they can have some skin in the game about this decision that we're making to lock ourselves down indefinitely. How does this catch on, Jordan? And honestly, this is, and you and I may disagree on this, although I doubt we do. I, I found the entire concept of locking down an entire nation to be, frankly, the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. I can't believe it was widely accepted. I don't care how many doctors agreed that was the case. That has never been done in the history of the world. They have quarantined buildings. They've quarantined areas. I know, I believe it was in Marseille, they actually built a wall around the actual city one time when they had a plague. But you cannot lock down an entire country. It's not even possible. We see we see people screaming about everybody. Well, they're not social distancing. You can't lock down 350 million people. It's not even possible. Why bother with it? This is what really got my attention early on. Because, you know, a lot of us, you know, I'm mostly a foreign policy, national security guy looking at the big picture events. And I had to do some preliminary research to make sure that this was indeed the case. And I was looking at the CDC, you know, all all these international health organizations that have dealt with pandemics in the past, and none of them have recommended lockdown. You know, this is a giant social experiment, and and the government is is not putting it that way, but that's realistic. We are in completely uncharted waters. Um, the, the scientists that are recommending this have no idea what the end result is going to be. And that's why it's so important that people with common sense, uh, who tend not to be politicians and government bureaucrats, raise alarms about this because they don't see that 
in the cure is is becoming far far worse than the disease how how does donald trump not see it i i need someone to walk me through that because everybody knows i have been a trump fan still going to vote for trump again honestly vote for voted for him last time but donald trump is not he's not bucking what they're saying He's going along with what they're saying, and I'm not pretending to understand the stress with having a doctor come in your office and tell you you have to lock down the country or two million people are about to die. I understand that's a decision I wouldn't wish on anybody. But now, at this point, Jordan, you have got to look at these numbers if you're the president and be like, uh, the juice is not worth the squeeze here, right? Yeah, and, you know, I think he was caught up a little bit in the, the situation in Queens in his hometown literally the worst place for COVID-19 in America where, you know, they're struggling uh, exponentially worse than any other place. Um, And I think the president was really caught up in that. And that's kind of where you saw his narrative change from, you know, the cure can't be worse than the disease to kind of handing, delegating the political or or entire society to these two physician scientists. But I, I really do hope he takes the reins back soon because, you know, we're on a, we're on a slide right now and eventually you can't get off that path to a great depression. And, and it's coming much sooner than people think. And, and you know, you were one of the first people to point this out. I, I remember going through your, your social media pro- posts and you said, you know, even these experts dire predictions, double that, triple that. And that's exactly what's happening because it's so unprecedented. You can't even calculate, for, for locking down an entire society. It, it's so tough to put projections on that because of how outrageous the policy is. I don't want to be right, and, and I don't understand how I can see it and all these big brains cannot see it. How can you see it? And all these, all these, all these fancy schmancy people walking into Congress, walking into governor's mansions, walking into mayor mansions, how can they not see that this is national suicide? That's what's blowing me away, man. Okay, they have new hard numbers right now, and I'm telling you, I don't want to be doom and gloom, but I feel like we're already on that path where they, can't re- they couldn't reverse it now if they wanted to, and we did it to ourselves. We've only got about 30 seconds. Yeah, I just want to kind of give people some level of awareness about how D.C. operates. These people are not any more intelligent than you guys. In fact, their, their you know, street smart level is probably uh, hundreds of times lower than yours. So we should not be relying on bureaucrats uh, for this whatsoever. And, and do not put too much faith into these politicians and bureaucrats because the government is not here to save you. It is up to the people to stand up for common sense and reason. And I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Amen. Jordan, thank you so much, my brother. Come back soon. Thanks, man.
Everybody knows I like to make fun of Democrats. You know that. I enjoy it. And I realized throughout, you know, especially over the past 10, 20, 30 years, it's a common phrase, you know, liberalism is a mental disorder and stuff like that. It's Look, it's fun. It's funny. But maybe we should consider it. And the reason I say that is that I saw this headline, and I know, joke, I thought it was the Babylon Bee. The Babylon Bee is that hysterical. I highly recommend it if you're looking for a way just to brighten your day because it's hilarious. It's a satire website. And it's always satire, poking fun at, poking fun at the left, poking fun at, uh, at like mega churches and stuff like that because it's run by a bunch of hilarious like Christian comedians. They're just, it is pants wedding funny. And I saw this headline, and I thought it was Babylon Bee, and it's not. This is real. It's 100% real. De Blasio, you know, mayor of New York, De Blasio, very concerned about anti-gay evangelical group running Central Park Coronavirus Hospital. Let me explain. Samaritan's Purse is a charity, a big charity. And I mean, when I say big, I mean all over the world big. They go everywhere there is a major disaster. And unlike some other charities, I don't work for Samaritan's Purse. They don't pay me or anything like that. But unlike other major, major charities, when you give to a certain cause at Samaritan's Purse, like let's say you did it right now, you gave to coronavirus, it actually goes to coronavirus relief. It doesn't go to the CEO's summer cottage in the Hamptons. It goes to coronavirus relief. It really is. Whatever your religious affiliation, it is a good one. A highly, highly rated as far as their ethics goes. Because you have all these watchdog groups that look into charities now, as they should. I've always said, you can call me a cynic all you want, but I've worked within that industry. Y'all need to start being a lot, lot more diligent looking into the groups that you give to. I got to know a lot of their books when I worked back in D.C. for about a year. And, man, there is some gross scum in the nonprofit community like you can't even imagine. They become gigantic slush funds, a lot of them, and I mean big ones. They get all the head guys rich and do it. This is the gross part because I have no problem with being rich. They do it off of your emotions. I just want to give the hurricane relief in Haiti. Here's my here's my fifty bucks. I'm gonna give up. I'm gonna give up eating today and tomorrow. And forty five of your fifty bucks goes to some CEO's bonus check. That's not an exaggeration. And this is major ones that you would know. Either way, Samaritan's Purse is not one of those ones. It's run by Franklin Graham. That's Billy Graham's son. Surely I don't have to tell you who Billy Graham was, you godless savages. Chris, do you know? Even even Chris knows who Billy Billy Graham was. He's Jewish. He's Billy Graham. Franklin Graham's his son. Runs Samaritan's Purse. And what they did was, because they're freaking awesome, they got word that New York was going to get hammered by coronavirus. And New York has been hammered, especially areas like Queens. I mean, look, New York is a virus's heaven. It just is. It's 
old sewer system, old water pipes, and it's so vertical. I try to drive that point home to people because I know so many haven't been there, but I love New York City. Love it. I love the place, but it is different. One, when you go there, it feels old. And I like old because, you know, I geek out on history. It feels very old, and it is shockingly vertical. Everything is stacked on top of everything. You will have a three- or four-story building with retail, retail shops, different ones on every floor. Well, you can buy clothes on this floor. There's actually a jeweler up on the second floor. You can get your taxes done up on the fourth floor. And on the fifth floor, it's a video game arcade. I'm not, it's just because space is so limited, everything is on top of each other. It is heaven for a virus. And so New York is absolutely getting it between the eyes with coronavirus. Samaritan's Purse. Asking not for a dime from anybody in the government or the taxpayer. They get some hospital tents set up. They get hospital personnel up there. Now, obviously, Samaritan's Purse, it's, I mean, the Good Samaritan, everybody knows that story. Chris probably even knows it, even though it's the New Testament. Samaritan's Purse is a Christian organization. They make no bones about it. So, let me see if I understand this. New York is getting so blasted by coronavirus, and they're so desperate, and we've been told for days there aren't enough hospitals, and there aren't enough beds, and there aren't enough anything And they're seriously considering closing down a hospital tent because it's Christian? Y'all have lost your freaking minds, man. All right. We're going to rock and roll again tomorrow. And then Monday, we go national, baby. That's all. Newton Group Transfer, they are here to help you if you're stuck in a timeshare. These stories from people who have these timeshares and can't get out of them, they're shocking. These timeshare companies, not all of them, but so many, they get their hooks into you and you can't give them up. You can't give them up. Or they'll, they'll do things like they charge you thousands of dollars. One girl, she got past her timeshare when her mother passed away. She gets past the timeshare, doesn't want the timeshare, doesn't use the timeshare. They tell her she can get out of it for $4,000. She has to come up with a $4,000 check. This is not right. It's unjust. And Newton Group Transfers is here to help you. If you are in a timeshare and want out or know someone who is, call 888-845-3773. That's 888-84-JESSE. Or go to timesharejesse.com, Newton Group Transfer. They will help you out. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters— With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 